What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to the Kevin Room, the official podcast of FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we're going to be sitting down with Joy now. She's a composer for one of the newest animated shorts that appeared on Apple TV Plus called Glamorous. And it's a really interesting short. You can see it online if you want. Go check it out. But we talk about coming up with the sound for this, how she was going to reflect each of the characters and the arcs and various things like that. Now, if you're interested in this, you'll definitely like filmmakeru.com where we have courses with the top film professionals to deepen and diversify your existing skill set. You can learn more at filmmakeru.com and of course use the promo code the cutting room or one word the cutting room to get 10% off. Now with all that said here's my interview with Joy. I guess um because I, I would love to talk about blush versus glamorous because they're polar yeah. opposites in terms <laughs> of the sound. Yeah. Um, but my first question for it, like, if you had to describe your sound, how would you describe it? I think the beauty of being a, like a film composer, someone in the supportive role of the story is whatever piece of music or the art that I put out is to support the vision of the director and to support the story. So um, blush and glamorous are both extremely different Um you know, uh, the the message that a director wants to give is completely different. And I guess my sound is whatever uh, can help bring out the heart of whatever story that the uh, director wants to say. And I would try my best to create a sound palette that's geared towards that story. I guess starting with Blush, how did you get involved with this short? Because it feels very much like a Pixar setup, like, like Apple's going to do their own Pixar with Skydance. Yeah, um, the Skydance, you know, media has been putting so much incredible uh, live action films and they started this animation department uh, with a lot of veterans from Pixar, DreamWorks, Disney. And I was very lucky to be involved because uh, I had a short film that I composed in Disney. It's Mm -hmm. a part of the short circuit uh, series on Disney Plus and uh, someone from Disney, from that team, had moved to Skydance and remembered that short. And that short was called Jinghua, which is mm-hmm. a film also about grief and loss, which is what Blush is about. And he said, actually, I, I really like your reel for that. Would you be interested in pitching for our, our first short film? Um, it's a very personal story to our director uh, that deals with grief, but also love and hope. And I feel like you might be you know, suitable for that. And I, of course, jumped on that opportunity. And the whole pitching process was really, really fun because like it was during the pandemic and it was all through Zoom, but it it just shows the impact of storytelling because even with, when I first got brought on board, it was storyboards. Mm -hmm. And even with just still storyboards, the message and the story was able to translate so uh, meaningfully and so impactfully. Um, and I started to write themes for that, uh, knowing the director's story that this is about him and his, um, his wife who he lost through breast cancer. Um, it was just about me really keeping his story in heart and what the message he wants to convey and start building a sound palette based of what he was describing. 
how would you describe the sound palette for Lush? Yeah. So a, an important theme that he wanted the film to convey was how family is our loved ones is like our oxygen because mm-hmm. when the our character has spoiler lost his you know his his wife his alien in the short film um he had a panic attack and he couldn't breathe and that was actually something that happened to my director he said he when he lost his wife he just he didn't know what to do and he he didn't he had a panic attack and how he got through that was remembering that oh i have my daughters here um, I have my loved ones close and I'm able to, as much as it hurts, I'm able to move on with hope because I still have a purpose here because of the support of my family. So I was so moved by his story that I wanted to play the idea of oxygen and air. So um, the foundation of the score is very orchestral. And I featured solo piano as the basis of home because I feel like in a lot of people's home, we grew up with a piano at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but to play with the idea of oxygen, I, I started to add some of my vocals and breath elements in it. And whenever that element enters, it's very intentional uh, where when he feels, when, when he first loses his wife, he lost air. So the air elements would not be part of the score but when he feels like he's he's able to move on and move on with hope again the air element comes back Hmm. so uh it's a lot of sorry apologies for my webcam i said that um it's a it's a lot of experimenting with these elements to humanize things but also serves a purpose in the story so so like because what i noticed in it is that there's no music up until she arrives. Yeah. So do does the air go throughout once she arrives or does yeah. it just sort of happen at the end there? Yeah, it does. So when she turns around, actually, there was like a, I did like, I, I added this breath element to it, signifying kind of love at first sight, but also to him, that was representative of how, um, he he has fallen in love and like found his purpose. And actually, fun caveat is that actually did happen to my director in real life. He said he met her in high school, and the first moment she, he first heard her through her laugh. But oh, when yeah. she turned around, she did blush, and um, he he just never forgot that moment of her. Um, Marianne turned around and started blushing and he thought oh is it because of me but actually ended up being she just blushes <laughs> in general so it was just so sweet like the he really our, our director joe has such a huge heart and really vulnerably and bravely tell the story mm-hmm. that he put a lot of thought into the significance of this story and so it was very moving and i felt it was very important to honor that now, when I went to your website, you show the recording of of the Skydance opening. Yeah. Now, did you, because that was done with a full orchestra. So were you able to do a full orchestra for the whole 10 minutes or was it just the intro for the animation company? Oh, we did. Um, we, and we were very lucky because, um, you know, this whole process was done during the pandemic. When there was, a, you know, lockdown and everything and there wasn't much scoring sections going on uh when we wrapped up the film 
it was when things started to loosen up a little bit. There was still a lot of COVID protocol, but we were able to record, I think, a 60-piece orchestra at Fox Studios, uh, the Newman scoring stage, which was extremely lucky. And actually, that moment, that day, was the first day we ever met in person because everything, all the meetings was through Zoom. So it was such a special moment for the whole team. And um, again, that shows like his, uh, you know, our incredible director, Joe's leadership, because he wanted to spread love and hope throughout this whole, you know, filmmaking process and how cool it was. I mean, not cool, but like the timing of it, is, it's, it's kind of, it's, it gives me goosebumps because it was during the time where everyone has to isolate. We, we were all, you know, the world was kind of uncertain and we weren't sure, but because we had this film to work on that spread on hope and, and love, I feel like that really brought the whole team together. So everyone was very much like a family, like a team, and it all comes down from leadership. So one of my questions then is, like when you're composing and you're gonna go to like a live orchestra as opposed to using synths and what have you, do you have a say in where you record? Like, cause I think about, I'm in Toronto and Massey Hall's renowned for its quality and sound or mm -hmm. the COC or you know Carnegie Hall in New York. When you're picking a space, like, are you allowed to choose or do you sort of get what you get? I, they do run it by me, but I, I, from, you know, all the, so many classic scores were recorded at that studio. And yeah. I was just very honored to even be able to have that moment for, you know, the film and also my first score ever recorded there. So mm -hmm. I, I was certainly extremely happy and, um, just honored immediately that I'm like yeah I'm I'm on board <laughs> well what what were some of the challenges in blush I think because I care so much about whatever story film that I get brought on mm -hmm. and because I knew this was such a personal story and at that moment you know I I didn't have that much experience yet to be honest when I got brought onto this film I did a couple of shorts or indie films here and there but to me this was like a big moments where not only this is the first film that this studio is putting out it was also such a personal story and I grew to really care for Joe and his family he introduced me to his daughters and I felt a lot of pressure to whatever I and, and this is all in my head like because I I really care so I, I think a lot and I'm like I no matter what I do I really need to oh my camera's back I really need to put in my all and I want to do this film I want to honor Marianne I want to honor this family I want to honor the studio and so it was just a lot of mental work that I had to do to silence my doubt and silence my pressure because all what's important ultimately is to I, I, just, I put in my all I put in my mm -hmm. heart and just like how everyone is in the team and I just have to trust that it will show and um the you know, the whole team created such a supportive environment. They didn't make me feel that, oh, she's a new composer or whatever. They treated me as she's our composer. Mm -hmm. We believe in her. We know she would, uh, we trust her sound. And um, I think I felt really respected as an artist. So it was just about me overcoming my 
self-doubt <laughs> in my head. And I think it's just because I care a lot. <laughs> when you're starting a project like this, what's your creative process, I guess, which is a terrible question, but like, how do you figure out like, okay, well, I'm going to start here. To me, the very important step in this whole process is to, to talk to, and to understand and be curious of the story and why the director, the filmmaker wants to tell this film. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, the meet and greet is extremely important. Like before I even start composing, like I really value the conversations we have, the exchange and it's basically kind of my, it's, it's my time to do research because to know the story really well and to really know the message that the film wants to convey, it acts as the backbone to every single thing that I do, whether it's choosing instrumentation or melodies or um, choosing which point, you know, like you said, like which point the score comes in and which it comes out. Like all of these is very crucial to know first, what is the message? So because I had those conversations with Joe and the and the team and he was explaining to me his, um, you know, how he met his wife in real life and why he wants to make this film, then it was, it was just from there we could start a conversation. Okay, so if we want to signify how important that moment was when you first met your wife and he and she turned around and she blushed and how sweet and innocent pure love is then I think the music should come in there because then it kind of signifies, wow, because like life is starting then, like because mm -hmm. I met someone that, you know, falling in love at first sight, that's when things start happening for the, our character. And to be able to know that we first have to understand, you know, what our characters are feeling, what are, what is the message and what is the why. So to me, that's my creative process. I first have to understand that first. And then from there, that's when the conversations start and ideas start to flow. And each film has its own unique qualities, which is how we build different sound palettes for different films. I want to jump to glamorous. And I think they're so polar opposite in terms of, yeah. you know, you've been talking about the director of Blush and it being such a personal story. And this one's not a personal story. It is very much like a Devil Wears Prada type of show mm -hmm. but it is the lead actor any yeah yeah it's like sort of her transition from youtube into actually series so it's also sort of a, an interesting personal journey how would you describe the sound of glamorous yeah i mean glamorous is such a special show because it, it it's a comedy but it touches on so many important themes like gender identity and inclu inclusivity um, it shows a wide range of the LGBTQ plus experience. Um, each character, you know, has their own storyline. They are humanized. They have their own space to exist and breathe, whether it's one character has a storyline about, you know, uh, uh, work, the work environment, or one character mm -hmm. has um, explores a relationship between um, parent and, and the character or like love interest romance like every it's is a chance for the music to kind of humanize all of these experiences and also showcase their everyone's personality so this for for this show how i started was i first listened to a lot of the music that the um i tried to envision what the characters would like to listen to and the filmmakers had a a lot of keywords like oh we want it to be trendy and sexy and intriguing and 
um, modern. Um, and then here are some of the artists that we like, like Little Mix or, you know, Christina Aguilera, something like that. It's like, so I start to like, think about what would Marco, our character, like to listen to um, mm-hmm. and how I can uh, have a score that represents, you know, the, along with the soundtrack that our amazing music supervisor put together, Liza Richardson. I It was just about setting the tone and bringing the audience right there with our characters. So if it's a comedy score or if it's a love, it's an emotional score that it's it just for me, it's like bringing all these contemporary elements into that score uh, while showing this range and humanizing everybody in the in the film. So that was really fun. <laughs> it was a really fun opportunity for me because it is a departure from my usual like orchestral scoring. Um, it was a chance for me to, to explore with more sound design and con- contemporary element beats kind of thing. If someone says trendy, do you worry about it aging poorly, or do you? Is there a way of doing trendy without it aging? I don't. I'm not too worried about that because my if we watch like a '80s film right now, and the pop mm-hmm. music then is different than the pop music now, but it was relevant to that time. So if I'm writing a score right now to these characters at this specific moment, maybe 20 years later they might be like, "Oh, that's a bit, you know, aging." But to me, it doesn't. It, it's important for me to serve accurately the story. So um, I'm thinking about what what are some pop music that they like the characters like to listen to now. You know, at the moment there's a lot of like guitar, bass, beats, like sound um, sound design kind of thing. So and I was I was uh, being mindful of that, but also trying to uh, add some of my own flair to it, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I still use some orchestral elements like strings or harps or piano, but the difference is now I'm thinking more like, okay, so what can I do to manipulate the sound slightly to add a bit of a pop flair to it? So whether that's like adding plugins to like vocals or adding plugins to harp to make it not sound so traditional Mm -hmm. orchestra harp, but then kind of like, oh, it, it sounds like a harp, but also there's a little bit of a modern flair to it. So uh, it was a chance for me to experiment and to, and I was very grateful for my showrunners who were very just supportive of all the musical choices that I did, as long as it served the story. So it all comes down to that at the end. Now, I also noticed when I was going through your credits that it lists you as also a voice in the music. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what <laughs> did you sing on a track that I just yeah. didn't get or? Yeah, I did. It's 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 um it's fun because I I think because of blush, it really ignited. I'm a classical piano player uh, mm-hmm. since I was young. Um, I like to sing, but I never professionally learned how to sing. But because of blush, it really ignited a curiosity in me to experiment with sound because our voice is our instrument, um, and I can no matter if it's a singing tonally, but I can also make weird sounds <laughs> with my mouth and sample it and then turn it into an instrument of its own so I've been really interested in exploring that um that side so um in Glamorous I did use some vocals to do some sweetening effects or um to create some dreamy effects especially for our main character Madeline who Kim Cattrall plays uh what is something that you know she loves modeling she 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 is a girl boss but she also has you know she used to be a model and she mm-hmm. she loved that she loved the glamour she loved the 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 feeling of 
owning your own beauty and being yourself. So I, I was like, okay, maybe I can add some female vocals into her theme and stuff like that. So I did try to experiment with that. It also adds like a human touch anyway. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that you studied classical piano. Yeah. Is there a, I like asking this of people in areas that I'm not an expert in. So is there a classical composer that might not be well known? Because, you know, like everyone knows about Beethoven and Mozart, mm-hmm. but is there a classical composer that you're like, people should check out this person's work? I'm sure a lot of people know this, but I, I, I'm i a big fan of the impressionistic era. And I, you know, I love the art, I love the music. And I really just love Debussy's music, Ravel. Ravel. Um, I'm sure a lot of pianists know this, but I I just love that when you play their piece, it's really open to interpretation. Um, like, at least I, that's how I interpret it. I'm, I'm sure some of the classical conservatories might think otherwise, but um, I, I really just love their color palettes and their interesting scales and interesting chords that they make and something that doesn't sound like it's supposed to be together but they add it together and it just creates this beauty um I'm very intrigued by that so I was very highly influenced by their music I I feel like when I was younger instead of practicing (laughs) Beethoven and Mozart I I much more rather play impressionistic piano music (laughs) you you refer to like their music like the colors in their music like how do you describe that what colors correspond with what? I really, and that's the that's the fun part too, is like everyone has different interpretation. That's just like when you look at a piece of art, you know, some people might, it, it might evoke a certain emotion from someone, but mm-hmm. the other person might not resonate. And at least how I perceived it, even sometimes when things are dissonant or things are clashing, but if it's somehow it evokes a kind of beauty, it's like a, I don't know how to describe it. You might think I'm crazy, but it's just more like there's a beauty in like dissonance. There's a beauty mm-hmm. in like things that are not supposed to be together yet. When you suddenly touch it and then come back and suddenly touch it and come back, it kind of like it's it feels like it's going this way as opposed to like being flat. I don't know. I'm not really good at explaining it, but that's how I perceive it. Like sometimes when I listen to a piece of music and it goes somewhere totally unexpected, but then it comes back it kind of evokes a little, it brings my attention. And it, to me, it's like, it's it's beautiful when colors are meshed together. They're not just one singular piece. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. <laughs> Now I have one last question for you. What would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film or TV show to watch? Uh, it's so difficult. I, I'm still a child at heart. I still watch, you know, the nineties, like Disney films. Like I still watch Lion King, Mulan, like for fun just yeah and on my own pleasure even though I know exactly what's going to happen in those films I still love to watch it it makes me really really happy it brings me back to I still cry at Lion King like even even as an adult it's just it reminds me of a really nostalgic mm-hmm. and simpler time and I'm also really fascinated but by, by that emotion just because nostalgia in itself it's also kind of like, to me, like that color that I was describing where you're sad that it's over, but also happy that it happened. So that's like that in-between feeling. And yeah. to me, those films translate that. Also like uh, Ghibli films, like, you know, the uh, yeah. all the Miyazaki films. I, I love Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, House Moving Castle. Like those are also my guilty pleasures as well. 
I um, just love that in-between complex feeling that you get even as an adult. Yeah. Well, now you've, you've worked at Skydance and yeah. at Disney Animation. You just need to knock off Pixar and Ghibli and you've got all <laughs> the major houses. So. Oh, my God. Like, that, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be just insane. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, I just have so much respect for the art of animation. Mm-hmm. Um in, in, in anything like the, the storytellers the animators the colorists the light the lighting department like it's like every everybody it's like has to create something from nothing yeah. you know like it's it's all from the imagination and I just have such a respect for that art and I'm super happy that more and more films are kind of advocating like last year I think it was Guillermo del Toro that says like animation is not just for kids like it's, yeah. it's really not and I'm just, I have such huge respect for that genre. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so that was my interview with Joy. I want to thank Joy for allowing me to interview her. I also want to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. And of course, I want to thank Jason Banky, my producer. I'm Gordon Raquel. Thanks for listening.